Greetings, everybody. Welcome into the Mining Stock Daily Long Farm episode for this week. A little bit of an off week as I am heading out on vacation. So we're going to air this long form episode earlier in the week. I'm happy to welcome in a good friend of mine, Julian Brigden of MI2 Partners. Uh, we talked all things macro. What are the things he's watching right now? How has this market changed in the last 14 years it's all about liquidity. We've seen this over the last six, seven months, or if not longer, but there's a divergence between this move in the general market and where liquidity sits right now. And what something else has to give here, according to Julian, the market, the stock market or the bond market. So one to watch. And plus, where do commodities fit in all this thing? I pose a couple of trades that I have on right now. And I get his feedback on it. it. Gives me some food for thought. Special thank you to Fireweed Metals, Arizona Sonoran Copper, and Western Copper and Gold for their continued support of the podcast. Please hit that like and subscribe. Share with your friends all those things, both with the podcast and on the YouTube channel. Let's jump into this great conversation with my friend, Julian Brigden. Hey, greetings, everybody. Welcome into Mining Stock Daily. This is going to be this week's long form episode. Uh, a little bit of a, uh, a shortened week for us here on the podcast as I w- am on vacation. Got to spend some time with the family. And why not take an all American road trip to none other than Mount Rushmore, South Dakota? <laughs> My guest here. Yucky, yucky, you, mate. <laughs> Uh, If you couldn't tell, this is our guest, Mr. Julian Brignan from MI2. Uh, Julian, uh, we are here in the Vail Valley. Uh, We're going to be back here this fall because you and your team are putting on a conference, macro conference. We are, yes. We've we've had this one in the hopper for a while. And I I want, we were just discussing how many conferences there are. But there's a lot of conferences that, you know, you come away, maybe you're smarter. Okay, maybe you're smarter. But you're not. I don't think necessarily richer and the whole thesis behind MI2 right from the get-go is not to pontificate about you know the markets or the economics it's to try and pay, make people money mm-hmm. and that's what we're really going to try and do uh, on this at this conference so we're going to talk about don't get me wrong we're talking about the macro 2024 is a big year right we've got you know big US election it's going to determine a lot We've got some pretty shitty geopolitics when we, we look out there. I know Yellen, Yellen just came back from China. It's all fine, honestly. <laughs> it's all fine, right? Um, so we're going to be talking about things like that. But then on the second day, we're really going to be taking a lot of that information and we're going to be starting to help you guys figure out how to make money out of it. So not only just trades, and this is the important thing because 90% of you don't really trade per se. You really want to position your wealth. That's how you really make money. And so we're going to have a couple of guys that we really like um, who do portfolio management, who do, but for individuals, Mm -hmm. talking about how they potentially see the world and how they want to position themselves and their portfolios for potentially what I think, and we're probably right seeing it now, Trevor, the fundamental big shift. So that I just think the last decade has been quite unusual i mean we've seen them before we saw them running into the 2000 2001 um we saw arguably running into 2007 2008 um and we've just had this gangbusters 
period since really 2011 where everything's kind of gone everyone's way where you had to be a fucking idiot if you didn't make money and now I think those those dynamics are changing and I think this I think the big shock's going to be to people that it's not that they're not going to make money and I was on chatting to Raul just now for the Real Vision conference call that we do monthly um, I just think where you can maximize your wealth creation is going to be very, very different over the next decade than, than the last mm. decade. And I think we're potentially seeing the beginning of that trend like now. Wow. Uh, so there's a number of things I want to take this conversation for as, as long as I can you know, have, have this conversation. I want to talk to you about this divergence between the bond market and the equity market or a lack of divergence, I guess right. we could say. I actually, I also want to talk to you about inflation, and then we've got to talk about commodities because they've shown signs of life, yep. not only, you know, in energy and metals, but also precious metals yep. in the last yep. few days. So that's kind of the direction I want to take this. But so I think we need to start with the big news with the CPI print. We got three yep. percent year-over-year print. All of a sudden, people are up. You know, inflation's over. And I know you and your team, you dive deep into that report, and I was able to have a conversation with you. It's like there were only a few things that really kept that number low, as low as it is, right. and that's energy. Yeah. And I think, look, we, as you know, in 2021, inflation was our big trade, and we had these really ballsy calls on how far inflation was going. And I remember going on a, on a virtual roadshow in 2021 because we are still obviously locked down because of COVID. And there was one guy from some huge hedge fund who got off the call and called me back and said, you're fucking insane. You know, how high do you think CPI is going to go? Well, you know, we were just trusting with what the models were basically telling us. And that was if you threw a monumental fiscal and monetary stimulus at the economy, the odds are you were going to get very, very high uh, inflation. On their own, they aren't enough. So you can just look at... The monetary stimulus, historically, if you, you know, you blow out things like a balance sheet of a central bank or M2 or, or, or other monetary aggregates, you can, you can sometimes get inflation, but you tend to get asset inflation. You don't mm -hmm. tend to get real inflation. When you combine that with fiscal, whew, that's, that's the sweet spot, right? So we played that game. And then last year, a month before the arse high uh, on CPI, we said, that's it. Down she comes. Now... It's been falling, and we think, uh, and so far we've been happy with that. Um, you know, it's led us to have some trades in fixed income, but those haven't really worked brilliantly well this year. It's been quite a frustrating year uh, in fixed income. But the thing that I, I worry about right here, right now, is this concept that ding dong, the witch is dead, right? This is it, we're done. And to your observation earlier, an awful lot of this is energy. Yeah. Right. An awful lot of this is energy and energy, you know, because of the very nature of how we measure CPI uh, is all about the rate of change. You know, CPI is the rate of change. So suddenly if, you know, oil drops from 100 to 50, OK, that's a 50 percent decline. But if then oil goes from 50 to 75, that's a 100 percent increase. And part of the problem is, is those very positive base effects we've had from falling commodity prices and falling oil are going to start dropping out. And I think are dropping out. This is probably the arse low. 
-hmm. Now, don't get me wrong, Trevor, I'm not expecting an explosive acceleration from here, but this very, very positive headwind disappears. And I do expect that headline PPI and CPI will start to rise again. Okay? Yeah. Now, that in turn leads to the next question. Headline rates, fine. What happens to core? Right? Because that's really the bit that the Fed's most interested in. And then again, I still think we're in danger of starting to see less of an improvement. I do think there is pressure on those core metrics. I do think they're going to soften. But the question is, is how far? So, for example, if you look at one of the things that JP's been talking about, Jay Powell, right? He's been talking about service inflation, ex-housing, okay? And ex-shelter, and that has fallen pretty sharply. But once again, if you look at service inflation, ex-energy, right? So you take that energy component out, it is still stuck there Mm. at around 6%. So the stuff without energy has dropped very hard. Oh, sorry, it's stuck. The stuff with energy in has dropped very hard. Now, if those base effects, once again, start to reverse, maybe we'll get a little bit further down on the core stuff, and then they start to get sticky. This concept, which the market really has fought the Fed in since the frigging beginning, that, that A, that not only are they done, but they're going to be slashing rates, right? Yeah, and and we're we're talking about major rate cuts getting priced in, right? We're talking, you know, over a hundred basis of rate cuts in by by next December, right? That's really only possible if somehow. I think you really get a recession. I don't even think it's good enough that if we got. I don't even think it's good enough even if we got zero inflation, and the reason I say that is because what's actually the fundamental problem that the Fed's been facing is we have too much yes we have too much inflation but we also have, we have too much nominal GDP so overall GDP plus inflation is too high mm-hmm. so let's and that's still running if you look at the labor market which is basically what leads it it's still running at around six percent six and a half percent so let's imagine tomorrow morning we woke up and we had the equity bulls wet dream they woke up and CPI is zero okay so your nominal gdp is six and a half your inflation is zero where does your real growth have to be six and a half now slight problem trend cpi trend gdp real gdp is 1.75 so we're going to be growing at four times that is that's the idea and we and in an, an economy where we've got 3.6% unemployment, that's sustainable? No, of course it's not. So what's going to ha- what would happen in that environment is real growth would massively accelerate. You try and employ all these people to fin- fill those positions. And I know eventually we'll replace them with bloody AI, but it won't be this year, right? Right, right. Your core inflation metrics, which are driven by your labor market, will just punch higher or will remain incredibly sticky. And the Fed won't be done, right? They will not be done. And this is why Jay Powell keeps talking about we need a period of subtrend growth, right? 
He says we need a period of subtrend growth, we need lower inflation, and we also need slack in the labour market. They can't say, I re we really need to drive unemployment significantly higher because that would get their political bulls in a vice, right? right? But that's essentially what they're setting out. And what is going on in markets at the moment is utterly contrary to that. So something is going to give, Trevor. It's either going to be that we're going to find out that this equity market you know, really is a bubble. We're very stretched versus the underlying liquidity metrics right here. So could that correct in the next few days? We're getting, we're starting to get sell signals on and exhaustion signals on the S&P and the NASDAQ, right? So maybe they do come down or this thing sits here, keeps going and the bond market is smoking crack in that scenario. They're just not gonna get the rate cuts that they think. They may even get rate hikes. And, you know, that's to me where this, it's just been such an incredibly difficult trading environment. It goes against everything that you've been taught. Um, I, I, you, I'd say, yeah. I mean, you know, all of, of us. us. But, uh, there's, this, there's always been this divergence between the bond market and the equity market. Right. But if the last two weeks have taught us anything, that is not the case anymore. Because as the labor data came out with... ADP and non-farm payrolls the other week we saw bonds sell off yields rise but so did the equity market right. and it was a very tell I think it was a very telling couple days yeah with that it's you know I I we talked about this before we got on air and I just we've done a lot of work going back a few years now where you know in the good old days pre let's say 08 09 pre the GFC and before we got into this absolute stupidity of QE the correlation between bond yields and equity prices was negative bond yields or interest rates would rise and equities would generally fall I mean it's what's supposed to happen right you tighten interest rates it's supposed to slow the economy and it is supposed to uh, weigh on the equity market. It doesn't actually happen anymore, Trevor. In fact, you know, it's quite the opposite. And I think the fundamental problem is that you've taken the equity market from being a metric of economics. Now, don't get me wrong, the economics dictate the relative performance of sectors within the equity market, winners and losers. But the broad equity market now is utterly determined by liquidity. I mean, it's utterly determined by liquidity, yeah. right? We have done a Weimar Republic, so sort of Germany, you know, in the hyperinflation of the 1930s trick where we have debased the currency and tangible assets, which are a claim on, you know, cash flow, have risen in price, right? You've debased the denominator of those assets, which is the dollar, and up the asset has gone. And so you're now in this world where Equities are basically set by liquidity and they don't give a shit about interest rates. And typically what you've seen is as liquidity has been increased and equities have gone up, bond yields have actually risen because liquidity is itself reflationary, right? So if you boost the wealth effect and you make CEOs feel better, right, then generally your equities, your equities are going to outperform, but so is the broad economy. We could talk yeah, about yeah. that correlation in, in, in a second. But the point is, is the Fed's 
is is fighting with one hand tied behind its back because the only thing that they seem to be able to control now i think as we move into august september october which is why i'm still worried about asset prices and particularly u.s equities um i do think that that we're going to get more of a liquidity tightening going on mm. but they've basically been battling this situation where they've been trying to slow the economy down via rate increases while not being able to do anything about liquidity because yes theoretically they're doing qt but as we saw the treasury offset a lot of that qt by drawing down the treasury general account which is kind of their checking account and that yeah. offset some of that and then the fed had to backtrack to bloody bail out the banks post svb and then they pumped even more liquidity in the system so they're really trying to battle this and this makes slowing an economy down where you're only impacting certain sectors. We call it this kind of haves, haves not conundrum that they have. Incredibly hard. And the two key things are just equities are set by liquidity in broad terms. And yeah, the bond market is set by what the Fed does with rates, but it always has to keep one eye on what's happening right. with this liquidity metric. The function, the function of the market and the bond market have completely changed over the last 15 years since the great financial crisis yeah the utility of the market of the stock market alone is completely changed yes uh it's there's a you know um dimitri Kofinas calls it the gamification of yeah. the market uh there's more uh, there's more participants in the market now than there was 15 years ago because of technology yep. and having access to your trading account every minute of the day yeah so this change over the last 15 years, you know, and you come from an old school and <laughs> an old in an old school training in the markets and I'm sure you've had to just stay on your absolute toes for the last 15 yeah. years because this whole thing has just changed before your very eyes every day. Yeah. It 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 does. I mean, you know, you end up you know using you know we wrote back in I think we were breaking back up above not quite 3900, you know, we we use these simple moving averages to keep ourselves kind of honest you know because look at the end of the day i'm a macro guy and there'd be right. nothing more than i love than the equity boys to get that half glass full of theirs shoved up where the sun don't shine right <laughs> but uh so you know we we like to we like to keep ourselves honest and we use these simple moving averages and we got a buy signal in the s&p got a buy signal on the s&p and we've got you know um the economy slowing and all the metrics slowing and you know screw this sort of um service sector versus not right and it, to say that it was a struggle and we wrote to our clients saying look i mean we're really struggling with this thing but the point is is what was driving it was liquidity and then you add into that trevor this complication that you've got that i truly believe that in the u.s we use the phrase hyper financialized right and what we mean by that is is very simply that if I said to you, which is the chicken and which is the egg? Is the real economy the chicken or is the financial market the chicken, right? Which which leads the other? And you'd kind of say, well, you know, from a logic perspective, the real economy should set inflation. So it should set, set bond yields, it should set growth, set bond yields. It should set profit margins, essentially from that growth. It should set employment, all of those things, right? Should That should lead the financial economy, not in the U.S., we live in such a hyper-financialized environment that literally stock prices, when you look at them on a correlation and regression basis, lead 
virtually everything, right. with the exception of liquidity, which leads them. Yeah. So you've had this situation where, yes, last year, we had the Nasdaq under pressure, we had US stocks under pressure. And what did CEOs start to do? Start to lay people off. Right, we saw it in the tech sector towards the end of last year. Now, stocks based in December, what peaked in January? Layoff announcements. Right. Literally, if you cannot get the equity market down, it's going to be extraordinarily difficult for you to soften this economy. And the Fed, and we've said this, we've literally used the expression, is in a pissing match with the equity market. And it's, you know, they're being hosted by their own petard in the sense they created this situation by pumping in trillions, right? Two trillion into the repo market, right? And 4.75 trillion into, on their balance sheet just since COVID, right? Mm-hmm. Just since COVID. I mean, this is, this is 30% of GDP in footloose liquidity that can just sort of, you know, morph all over the shop. They've created this dilemma, but I think, you know, to me, it gets, we're going to have, don't get me wrong, as I said, I think, equities look extended here, we're getting beginning to get some sell signals. There is some weakness in the economy, right? There is some genuine slowdown in employment, but if we do not get that correction in equities, and it's a meaningful correction, then actually I fear this bout of weakness we're seeing here to use, and I hate to use this phrase, could be transitory. <laughs> and then come next, come Q4, the economy's re-accelerating again. This mm. inflation base effect, <coughs> excuse me, has dropped out, right? And then the Fed's in a fucking... It's by, by, the, by the dip one more time. Yeah, then the Fed's in a world of pain. But on the by the dip, and I think this is where things get interesting, the question is, what do you want to buy? And that, to me, is why the dollar is so important here. Well, let's talk about the dollar. Uh, <laughs> I've been watching that chart real closely. It, I, you know, it fell through support in one day. Yes. From was it one hundred two ish to one hundred, and we're talking here on a Thursday afternoon. It's down into double digits. I think I saw ninety nine. Yep. Yeah. So it's it, like against the euro. <laughs> Three and a half percent in five days. Cut through support like butter, man. Yeah. And I think that was a pretty huge signal. However, what are equities are rallying, commodities are rallying. I mean, everything seems right. to be rallying. So we all think, as I said, the Fed is done, and you know maybe they are for now, right? As I said, I'm I question for how long, and it may only be two months from here now, and we're looking at higher inflate headline inflation prints, right? And you know no drop in the labor market and then if the fed doesn't keep hiking the bond market is going to do it for them because there's no way that bonds can keep pricing what they're pricing if this economy re-accelerates and doesn't weaken but the dollar to me gets really interesting so we've really been in the camp that for a while and it's been a bit of a bitch to trade because it looked like it was going last year just before ukraine Mm -hmm. that the dollar has these very large big cycles right we're not talking please 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 don't anyone you know think that I'm being sort of tinfoil hat wearing Machiavellian and saying, you know, the demise of the dollar is the reserve currency. You know, what sane individual, what Western country is going to want to put their money uh, or most of it into 
the currency of a communist dictatorship, right? right. No one, right? No one. Um, so don't get me wrong, but the dollar moves in big cycles and we've been due a correction. We've had the best part of 12 years where the whole world has piled their money into the United States for you know, creating a bubble in the equity market and a true Soros-esque reflexive cycle. So a reinforcing cycle whereby the purchase of the asset underpins the economy and the, under, un, the economy underpins the asset price. So we have this self-reinforcing virtuous cycle. And it's friggin' extended here, Trevor, right? So if we, if we are gonna get a broadening of the recovery and you know, inflate, ding dong, inflation's dead and everything's going off to the races again, then there's a shitload of better stuff to own yeah. than bloody NASDAQ stocks, which, you know, if you look at the NASDAQ 100 against the, um, the Russell, for example, right? Yeah. It's at dot-com high extremes. It touched the arse extremes like three weeks ago, hmm. right, four weeks ago. Mm-hmm. And, you know, if we're going into a, a new phase of reflection, kind of question it but if we are and i think you have to you can trade it for at least you can trade it in a positioning maybe not but you can certainly trade it as though we are um then the stuff that people own u.s consume u.s stocks particularly consumer discretionary and tech historically are the things that you do not want to own it doesn't mean that they go down Mm-hmm. But there's better, better things to own, even in the U.S. Well, there's a number of ways you, we, we could take this, because I, I, one of the things I actually wanted to get your thoughts on was this idea of a reindustrializing America and this, quote-unquote, Inflation Reduction Act, which is... <laughs> Poor choice, poor definition. <laughs> poor, very poor choice. <laughs> yes. Uh, but, however, it it is... In the Fire Retardation Act. <laughs> Pour yeah. this gasoline yeah. right over yeah. this. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. But, you know, at the heart of it, and I think this has been something that's been going on for a number of presidencies. It's just this act has got Biden's signature yeah, on it, right? correct. So we got to get to a point to where we know the world is deglobalizing. Supply chains need to be corrected. Yep. We need to put people back to work. We actually need to produce things rather than, as you say, hyper-financializing everything yep. and bring that financialization of the GDP back down to something, um, more reasonable. something more reasonable than what it's at right now. But that's going to take a shit ton of planning, a shit ton of money, and a shit ton of get-off-my-back NGOs, environmentalists. Right. This is something we have to do. Are we prepared to do that? I mean, because it seems to be very political. On one hand, people want to do that. On, this, on the other hand... Polit- politically, you got to tread very, very lightly. But what does that mean? I guess, I guess, you know, what does that mean for the real economy? So, look, don't get me wrong. I think we are definitively reonshoring. If you look at manufacturing, sort of pro- production capex, right, exploding, it's gone up a hundred percent year over year, right? We but are, manufacturing has also been in a recession for the last right, four right. or five months. You know, well, that's because they just overordered shit, right? right? You know, in COVID, and now they're paying that price. But, you know, if you look at the construction, you know, it's happening. Uh, I, 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 do, I do think you have to be careful, right? I mean, we're starting from a pretty low base, right? My, my first boss said to me when he gave me a pay, my first pay rise in the business, he said, Julian, I'm giving you a 100% pay rise. 
And I said, oh, that's great. And he goes, but I do you want you to remember that 100% of fuck all is still fuck all, right? <laughs> And and I, <laughs> I was like, oh, okay. Um, and uh, but but the point is, you know, so a hundred percent increase in manufacturing, sort of business plant investment, you know, is great, but it's off a really low base, right? Because we've right. hollowed out manufacturing for you know twenty years, right? So great, right step. Is it important? Sure. Is it going to prevent us from having a should it prevent is that enough to prevent if everything else is tightening and you know like is that going to offset commercial real estate uh no right is that going to offset the tightening of the bank balance sheet uh no right so i think um i think we have to put all that sort of in context um but there's a lot of demand there's a lot of and everyone's doing it trevor mm-hmm. so there's a lot of um demand on a lot of these industrial commodities going forward, irrespective, right, of what happens. We're writing this piece on hydrogen at the moment, right? Because, mm. you know, Biden put billions of dollars into this, right? Tens of billions of dollars into this stuff, right? So even if we went into recession tomorrow, there's going to actually be an underlying bid. But the big thing, guys, that's truly going to drive this is if this dollar goes. Because I one of the you know in macro there's really the cycle is about getting the dollar cycle right because mm. you know yes there's the underlying growth cycle the underlying growth cycle will determine you know what it used to uh used to determine whether it should be you should have risk on or risk off yeah. now it's is liquidity going <laughs> up but what really determines within that trend of risk on or risk off of where you put your money is the dollar and history suggests that in a risk on environment which we certainly are as we sit here on thursday um if the dollar is going down it is not in growthy u.s tech stocks it is actually in the real economy and it is actually you can do it in the u.s you can own mining you can own metals can own actually transports um what you do but really you also want to own some emerging markets mm-hmm. you want to own non-us stocks in those mining metals right you know the FTSE is a great equity market to own in that kind of environment mm. well let's talk about commodities and metals yeah. um because it's been pretty fascinating uh i've been watching copper very much very closely recently last couple of weeks I, I mean i was i was that was very unfavorable with copper yep. for a long time. And a lot of people are out, the, you know, a lot of people who are watching copper, they're in many ways much smarter than I am, yep. but kept on pounding the supply demand, future supply, future demand. Totally understand it, yep. but I just said the, the, the chart didn't look, didn't look great. Yeah, it's all right. Um, but it did bottom, got a bounce, and actually made a higher bottom. Right. And now here we are in this interesting couple of weeks we've had and it seems like it's it's rebounding but if dr copper is giving us a sign of the economy <laughs> i mean i guess as that's an anecdotal of anecdotal situation of the of the entire commodities situation right now we're also seeing oil rebound yeah i, I mean how are you how are you approaching commodities 
So now, what do you look, see? I, my, my core view has been, and it's something that we've talked about with our sort of macro insider crowd, you know, when we look at these longer term trades, you know, one of my favorite longer term trades is basically the S, short the S&P, long the XME. And it's been, you know, frustrating trade. It hasn't really gone anywhere. It hasn't really, you know, massively underperformed. But it's really a dollar trade, right? And yeah. you look at those ratios historically in the past, and I can't remember exactly where we are. The point is, is if we're going into the beginning of a long downturn move in the dollar, and don't get me wrong, I don't think it's going to be quick. It's not, you know, in the sense that we're not going to get a clear resolution of this, right? To get a clear resolution of the dollar, ideally, what you'd want is the Fed to be cutting. And I struggle with that, given what's, what we've just discussed, Trevor, and this idea that, you know, oh, it's all great, we're actually re-accelerating, right? Now, if the equity market in the next couple of weeks shits the bed, okay, then fine, mm-hmm. okay? But that would put you in a situation where, you know, the dollar would start to weaken, they start to cut, then you can go, I think, balls to the wall, outright commodities, Right, so you go just absolutely balls to the wall, long copper, long uh, XME, you know, long, um, uh, you know, oil. Right. Yeah. At this point, I'm s- my inclination is still more of a relative trade because you just haven't got though that clear Fed. We're done. Well, and, but the traders seem to think that's the case. I mean, is that I is that is that do. what the move is right now? Yeah, think oh, it's absolutely, all speculation? absolutely, absolutely. And I suspect if I'm right about you know we fast forward a month, True. and everyone's expecting CPI to fall from three to two, and it goes to three and a half, that will be the question mark. If the following month it goes to four. Right, we better have some bloody lifeboats available. <sighs> Because things will get really ugly really pretty quickly. Or if, you know, your initial claim starts dropping again, mm-hmm. right, then, you know, these, it's, it's just not that simple. This, you know, we went back and looked at a, uh, a res- every single recession in the post-war period and what that typically did to inflation. Okay, so we took from the start of, of the recession to one year after it ended. So roughly somewhere between a sort of two-year and an 18-month time frame, right, from the start of the recession. And what it basically said was that core inflation dropped 0.9, right, over that mm-hmm. whole period, 0.9, and um, headline only dropped 1.9. The point is, even in a recession, Trevor, to say that inflation is dead, and we haven't even had a recession, and it looks the way things are now, that this is not the case. So as I said, bare minimum, if indeed we are re-accelerating, this assumption that the Fed is going to be cutting next year, I think is wrong. I don't, I don't see how they can. Bare minimum, they're not cutting. And that means those sort of two-year notes and three-year notes, um, hundred, you know, 100-plus basis points mispriced. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> they're prepping a wedding out here. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's, our, uh, that's all right. It might be our curtain call to wrap it up anyways. But, but let, let's kind of jump on, on board with that because it's, 
right now, if you, I mean, let's, I, I, I'm starting to buy copper plays. Right. Um, and I, I put that out there on Twitter a couple of days ago. I've been buying my favorite copper juniors, you know, the riskiest of the risky. Yeah. But now that I'm listening to you talk, I'm, I think I'm realizing, like, I've got to be very careful, tread lightly, and be able to get out if the macro doesn't support the trade. Yeah, and I think, look, don't get me wrong, there is nothing more in the world that I would love to just go all in on black, right, and sure. say, just buy silver, just buy silver miners, just buy gold. I think you've got to be careful on the copper stuff because it's real economic growth kind right. of stuff. But, you know, even that, right? There's nothing more than I would like to. And then go short NVIDIA, you know, short bloody Tesla, short Microsoft, right? I'm not convinced you can just yet, right? I think you can do it for trade. Uh, I might be wrong, but even if you start to... You know, as I said, right here, right now, my inclination is more to have relative trades on, to have two legs. So I might be long copper and short. I mean, you were just saying you're basically long copper and short NASDAQ, right? I am. Um, I am. And I think that's a right kind of a way to approach it right here, right now. And then you can lift the leg sure, at some point and take that NASDAQ money and go, right, all on. Well, but I'm wondering if, you know, maybe this is just me thinking out loud with my current my current position is and I need to and I need to maybe think this through but am I positioned here because it's fundamentally sound to have those positions on or in the back of my mind am I thinking holy cow the market ski they're way out in front of their skis and this bubble still hasn't popped am I playing a bubble pop and that's and that's that's you really can, dangerous okay, that's yes, a really dangerous it's a very position. difficult thing to do and I have a lot of sympathy with that, right? I do think... <laughs> Thank no, you. <laughs> no, I, I mean, I do... I, I I look at US stocks and they look highly bubblicious to me, right? Mm. As I said, you know, if you look at the... Go and pull a chart up, guys. Most of you will have charting packages. Go and look at the NASDAQ 100 against the RTY, the Russell 2000. I think it's the 2000. And take it back to 2000 as a ratio. It's tick. We top ticked it just like we did in... 2000 so you know i have a lot of sympathy that i think these tech stocks are highly bubblicious if they are bubblicious and if that bubble bursts it's going to be very very hard to make money in any outright long position yeah right your copper is going to go down your silver is going to go down now it might go up relative to the nasdaq 100 but that's a very different proposition from the one that i i fear right now because i just don't see the conditions for the fed the market's assuming this but i don't see the conditions for the fed to be done and to start to cut rates and that's when you go balls to the wall all in so this to me still is a trading environment it's moving in the direction that I want mm -hmm. but I'm I'm worried that if those tech stocks don't come off and those base effects drop out on inflation we're going to get to September October 
and we'll be going, shit, inflation isn't coming down and the labour market isn't weakening. Are we right to be pricing 150 basis points into, you know, the interest rate curve in the US? And if we're not, what does that mean? Well, it probably means, you know, bonds have to sell off, risk assets come under pressure again, maybe the dollar bounces a bit. So it's all still much more nuanced. Yeah. I, you know, I, I hate to give the central bankers more credit than they deserve. But I have been thinking this in the back of my mind that, like, you know, other than the transitory bullshit. Right. When they came out and said, we are going to fight inflation, the cover of this inflationary fighting book seems pretty okay. Like, they seems like they've managed it okay because everybody's happy. Inflation's come down. Equities keep that, going that, up. I, I, Sorry, mate. You can't fucking have that. Yeah, no. I, the the immaculate inflationary fight, right? You have to, you have to have pain. It's just a market. You've got an equity market that doesn't give a shit about fundamentals, just driven by liquidity. A series of events that have pushed that liquidity higher. You've got a central bank that is trying. I mean, look at it this way, Trevor. If you are wealthy, which a lot of people who be listening to this podcast are, and you have stock and you have fixed your mortgage. You're sitting okay. I mean, what's the Fed done to you? Fuck yeah. all. Yeah, like, yeah. nothing. Nothing. And that's the cover. That's the book cover. Right, yeah. right, nothing. Now, if you're a millennial, and you're trying to finance a car, or buy your first house. house, right? Bloody hell, right? But the same is true of the equity market. If you're a small business trying to finance yourself, getting finance rates now of 9 10% from a bank, as opposed to a Fortune 500 company, or particularly a top 10 Fortune 500 company, long cash earning 5% on your money, what have they done? But the idea that we can just squeeze this little part of the economy and just kill economic growth and obtain... if if if. Powell is determined to deliver what he said. He has said, low at kill inflation, right? And that will require a period of extended subtrend growth. Growth is, real growth is now re-accelerating mm-hmm. because financial conditions are easing and a period of slack in the labor market. And the risk is that now, because of hyper-financialization, that slack will not emerge. If we think we're truly done, I think that's just naive. So that's why I'm more in this relative trading. It's a great trade, great trading environment, right? Yeah. But it is not a balls to the wall. The central banks are done unless they suddenly determine that they are going to be done. Um, And if they're done, if they back away here, don't bet your money that the long end of the bond market is going to give them the benefit of the doubt Mm. because they'll they'll be pivoting and not delivering on their inflation credibility and so far the bond market has given these central banks exception of maybe the bank of england and and the guilt market you know a hundred percent credibility but they really believe that they're determined that they're going to be able to vanquish inflation let's see by september october if these base effects start to drop out and inflation ticks up a bit yeah uh, speaking of September, October, I'm going to see a lot of you 
<laughs> you are, mate. So, <laughs> 26th to the 29th, we're having this conference not far away from here, actually, just over in uh, Beaver Creek. It's actually in the same place where the Precious Metal Summit it is. is. Yes. And it's, uh, there's a two-week gap, yeah. I believe. But it's a better time of the year. We get peak uh, leaf change. And uh, so it's a... Gr- <laughs> We're not starting to battle about who's getting the better position. No, 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 no. no we just we got lucky. But it's... Um, no, it's a... Um, Beautiful time. And the reason why I mention that is lots of people get hassle, you know, if they want to come to these things from their loved ones, right? You know, right. oh, you know, I don't want to go this. It's actually a great time to bring your partner because they'll be able to do a bunch of stuff uh, on the mountain. As I said, um, and we're, you know, we're having stuff arranged so that they can do that. It is a stunningly beautiful time of the year. Um, and I think, you know, the plan will be, as I said, you know, we've got a few days to talk about all the economics, to talk about the macro, to talk about the geopolitics. It's going to be incredible timing. Yes. But, mate, to try and get people to walk away with concrete ideas about how they can protect their wealth. Because if we're right, it's a radically, radically different world than stick all your money in the fucking NASDAQ 100... (laughs) and remain balls to the wall, essentially long dollars, with no international exposure, which none of you have, pretty much, right? Most IRAs now, or most you know, registered investment advisors are probably 95% US exposure, 5% overseas, because it's not paid you to do anything in that. And that's just not what history suggests. And I would think that you really need to be very, very cognizant of the potential risk. Even if you doubt us, You've got to listen to that side of the argument because um, I think it would transform it. And look, if you're interested, you know, go to our website, which is mi2partners.com. There's a link on the top. I think the early bird special is still running. Trevor's got a link. Yep, I think got a link. Him, I'm um, actually, I'm, I'll be speaking. I'm yeah, and, you, and Trevor's speaking. We've got a lot of really smart people there. I think you can help. Much position. smarter than me, but I'm and glad me. you asked me. And me. Yeah. Uh, I always wanted to be the little ant on top of the big, <laughs> the big. Uh, the big mound of ants. Uh, but, uh, yeah, so, yeah, I think it's yeah. going to be a great event. It will be a great event. Um, and then I might also add, in November, you and I are going to be back on a stage together. In We've, Zurich. In Zurich. <laughs> I don't know if I... I, that's, I we're going to need... I'm going to have to talk to Jessica because we're going to need more time based on this conversation. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, so uh, you and I are going to be yeah. uh, giving some... I don't know if it's the keynote or a session or something. I think... That agenda is being finalized yet, but you and I will be at the Precious Metals. I'm coming straight from Carbo. Oh, you'll be nice and tan. Have you seen me, man? <laughs> My ethnicity? <laughs> no. Uh, Julian Brigden, MI2 Partners, uh, my friend, my mentor, and love the hell out of you. Thanks so much for doing this. Pleasure, mate. Thanks for having me on the show. The information presented should not be considered investment advice. Mining Stock Daily and its affiliates are not responsible for any loss arising from any investment decision in connection with the material presented herein. Please do your own research or speak with a licensed financial representative before making any investment decisions.